My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, when the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them, Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you've seen me? Blessed are those who've not seen and have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. How do you see yourself? That's always been a question that people have at some point in their lives had to focus on, or perhaps more accurately, it's a question that multiple times in their lives, everyone has had to answer. Sometimes we keep it just on a a very surface level where we just offer factual biographical details about ourselves, where we're from, what we're studying, what we do for a living having experienced being bullied growing up or times when I was struggling with my health or weight issues, it was easy to believe lies that others told me about those things and about myself as I called myself a loser or having made mistakes and experienced setbacks. It was always easy to get stuck there and exclusively focus just on those things as I called myself a failure. And when I think back to some of those those challenging times and experiences, it's amazing to recognize how powerful a thing on how you can see yourself can be, how easy it can be to be distorted and manipulated, and the potential and the effect that it can have on someone. A few weeks ago, 
the social media site TikTok, acknowledging this reality, came up with an approach on how to deal with it. They had this trend that went viral called blur your insecurities. And they invited people to select an area on themselves that causes them to feel bad. And the app pixelated that area of the person. If there were good intentions that went into that campaign, and that's a very big if, to me it seemed destined to fail right from the outset. First of all, the, just the shallowness that social media often promotes which causes people to do nothing but look at themselves or compare themselves to others, which often results just in narcissistic or envious thoughts. And then blur your insecurities sure went off in a lot of di disturbing directions, especially since they picked a song with that filter called Stressed Out with the words, my name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. It practically invited people into negative places. And comments included a 15-year-old sharing with the whole world how she hates her, her nose and her teeth. As she wrote, my nose is broken. It curves to the side. I have a bump on the side that shows up when I'm on my side profile. And I was just sad enough thinking about how this, this young woman is already being super critical of just a minimal physical thing about herself and overly fixating on them. But it got worse. One user wrote, my whole existence would be blurred. One came writing, I'd sell my soul to get rid of those lines by my mouth. It's easy for us to think that this is something new that has evolved as we see society devolve. But the reality of people obsessively fixating on the negative is nothing new. Think about tonight's gospel. The scripture passage, which recounts the first Easter Sunday night 2,000 years ago. A vast majority of people, if they were asked to describe what the gospel was about, would probably respond with just two words, Doubting Thomas. That label coming from this one event is so powerful that people use it as a, as a popular expression when someone expresses any skepticism about something. You don't even have to be a Catholic or a Christian, and people know who Doubting Thomas is. This poor guy, Thomas probably could never have imagined that thousands of years later, people would be invoking his names as they say things like, this guy doesn't think the Giants are ever going to be in the Super Bowl again. He's a, such a doubting Thomas. That's one of the reasons, though, that this gospel passage has always fascinated me. And the more I've prayed and read about it, the more I've really developed a, a soft spot for St. Thomas. The reason he didn't believe Jesus was risen from the dead was that he wasn't there that first Easter Sunday night. But so often, people's minds and their hearts immediately go to the doubt and skip over that fact, which is always something that stood out for me. Why wasn't he there that first Easter Sunday night? What better did he have to do? Why wasn't he dubbed absent Thomas? Why, when they were all gathered together in that upper room, was he the only apostle not there? Well, not exactly. Not all the apostles were in the upper room either. Judas Iscariot wasn't there. The other apostle, whose name, whose identity is forever linked to something he did, and it is now attributed to others for less than ideal reasons. And maybe that's part of the reason that Thomas isn't there. Maybe he could have been dubbed Shattered Thomas. 
Because we can't forget all that's happened in a very short period of time. Going from that sacred intimacy of Holy Thursday night at the Last Supper, where Jesus reveals his heart to his 12 apostles, these men who have been close to him and have followed him for years. What the Last Supper makes them his first priests as he washes their feet, as he gifts them with these sacred treasures and the responsibility of bringing the Eucharist, his actual body and blood, soul and divinity, and the bread and the wine. Hours later, they're not only completely impotent from stopping the horror and the madness and the brutality of the passion, the humiliating and devastating end as Jesus dies on the cross. They weren't even there. Is that why Thomas is missing this night? Is it that Thomas was thinking all kinds of negative things about himself? Coward, hypocrite, fraud, weak. What was he thinking of his 11 brothers, including one who had sat right there at the table with them, who would be the one who betrayed Jesus and then went out and hung himself? Try to imagine that that disbelief, that hurt, that anger that must have been weighing in on all of them. I don't know about you, but the more I try to imagine this and what this must have been like, I can't blame Thomas that he was feeling like he didn't want to be with them, that he wanted to be alone. He was angry and he was disappointed with himself and the whole lot of them. And nor can I blame him for reacting the way he did when the 10 remaining brothers are now telling him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas probably went from beating up on himself to now turning it on them. He didn't believe them. Maybe Thomas is thinking, if Jesus is alive again, if he is risen from the dead, why would he come here? Why would he come to us? We don't deserve him. We're not worthy. But the thing is, Thomas's doubt is born of all this negativity because it's caused him to forget. Forget the many times Thomas saw Jesus pour out love to those who felt isolated and unworthy. Forget the many people who were ill and labeled unclean. But Thomas saw Jesus heal and restore and bring into communion. Forget the time Thomas actually heard Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son. Or the good shepherd who abandons the 99 in search of the one lost sheep. He forgot all the time that he spent with Jesus, all the things he saw Jesus do, all the things he heard Jesus say, including telling him he knew he was going to be crucified. He knew they were going to fail him. And he knew he was going to rise again. Thomas wasn't doubting because he was this natural skeptic who had remained unmoved and unconvinced over the years that he followed Jesus. It was that as his heart was heavy with anger, at himself and at the others for their failures, for their weaknesses, for their inadequacies. He forgot to stop looking inward at himself or outward on everyone else. He forgot to stop to focus on Jesus. And that's why every year on this second Sunday of Easter, we always hear this gospel because we're not so different from Thomas, are we? Even if we do make it to Mass every Sunday, if we were faithful to the practices of prayer and fasting and almsgiving throughout Lent, even if we do get to confession on a regular basis, it's easy for all of us to still let the doubts 
and the failures and the sins to undermine our faith, to let the insanity of the world make us so mixed up and confused about who we are, to become so fixated on all the negativity that we see around ourselves that we want to numb ourselves with distractions or worse yet with alcohol or drugs or with self-harm, anything to escape the despair. We don't recognize how easy it is for us to join with so many in our world who've lost their source of their true eternal identity, which comes from Jesus Christ, the crucified one, who's risen from the dead. Think about the first thing Jesus does after being risen from the dead. It's not to go drop in on Pilate and Caiaphas and all those who conspired to put him to death and completely wreck their worlds, which would have been a personal choice on my part. It's not to appear in the midst of downtown Jerusalem in front of all the people who demanded that he be crucified and ask them how happy are they with their decision now. No, Jesus offers peace. He meets those who were shattered and were thinking some really negative things about themselves after Good Friday and reminds them he had called them to be his apostles. He sees greatness. He sees a potential in them. And he knows that they're more than the things that they're saying about themselves, the things that they've done or failed to do, or what they've heard others say about them. They're his chosen ones, and that hasn't changed. He offers peace to those who needed it the most and felt the least worthy of it in that upper room to his apostles. And he tells them he was very serious about offering forgiveness as he commissions them now to go in his name and do the same. That's why today's called Divine Mercy Sunday, where in the joy of Easter, we recognize that's who God is. That's his identity, that he meets us in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, and he offers us his love and his forgiveness when we deserve it the least and when we need it the most. That's what Thomas experiences, and he witnesses to us. Jesus knows the complexity and the heaviness of the human heart. He knows the complexity and the heaviness of Thomas's heart as he comes to him this following week. And look at what he does. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't make him feel guilty. He doesn't call him doubting Thomas. He calls him to believe. Another translation has Jesus saying, become trusting, not distrustful. He's forgiving Thomas. And he's telling them, He's got two important things to do. He has to forgive himself, and he has not to be defined by what he did, but what God was calling him to do. And that's the good news of great joy for us. Lent is a time when we were pretty much, very much attuned to our sinfulness and our need for God's mercy. Easter, and in a particular way, this Divine Mercy Sunday, invites us to celebrate it can be ours. If we follow Thomas's example, if we stop replaying all the mistakes and setbacks, stop listening to the lies and the labels that we've allowed others or even ourselves in our brokenness to attach and let Jesus in, let him speak into them. And as we ask for and receive his forgiveness, especially when we, we go to confession and our sins are all wiped away, as we ask for his healing, and Jesus calls us to receive his peace. As we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, 
We celebrate how God sees himself and how he wants us to see ourselves, to reclaim our eternal identity, being his beloved sons and daughters.